you know, we've got, it's a, it's a good day. Anybody know what day it is? It's Juniper Jones's birthday. It's not the day that you think that it is. Uh, anyway, you know, it's an interesting time of year, isn't it? Halloween's always been an interesting day. I'm not the biggest fan of Halloween, never really have been. Uh, but what Halloween has become for me is a day really to celebrate my Lord and Savior's victory over the powers of darkness. Amen. Amen. I get a lot of joy out of that. I get a lot of joy out of the fact that when Jesus Christ went to the cross for me, not only did he die for my sins, for my sicknesses, for my diseases, and ultimately die in my place that one day I'd be raised from the dead, but the scripture teaches that he disarmed principalities and powers, that he took the authority that Satan had back from him, that he disarmed him, and that he defeated all of the powers of darkness on the cross. And that's something to celebrate, isn't it? Amen. And so that's one of the things that we as the church, I think, in a, in a season like this should always be focused on because the devil ultimately doesn't get to claim a day. I'm not going to allow him to claim a day. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. But we understand whenever we're talking about that, I, I want to speak a message this morning and I'll be in Mark chapter 5 once we actually get there. Uh, uh, but, uh, but I want to speak a message this morning called The Devil's Nightmare. Isn't that fun this morning? Amen. But if you would, could you, would you join me in prayer before we get into this? Let's just take a moment. Let's just pray and invite the Lord to, to anoint his word. Father, we're just grateful. We are grateful for the reality, Lord Jesus, that you have all authority. You have all power in heaven and in earth. And Lord Jesus, your name is a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue confesses things in the heavens, things in the earth, and things under the earth. They all confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you use your word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you anoint it to give us life, Lord, and to teach us and to strengthen us. And I pray this morning that each person would walk in the power of your freedom. They'd be anointed by your Holy Spirit and strengthened this morning by your word. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you know how, I mean, one, one of the questions, how often do you guys think about the demonic realm? I don't know. I don't know how often you think about it. I think probably growing up, you know, I remember watching movies during the Halloween season or whatever, like The Exorcist or whatever and stuff like that. And I don't watch that stuff anymore. But when I was a kid growing up, that's kind of how what, what you thought of during this time. And usually when you thought about the demonic realm, you thought about something crazy, some woman, uh, you know, running down the stairs on her back hands or something like that or, or throwing up out of the mouth or, or anything like that. And, and I think, you know, maybe there is an element of the demonic to that. But what I've found over the years is that while these things sometimes are reality, I've talked to Andrea and other people about some experiences that I've had with the demonic. And, uh, and, and Andrea, actually, who's a lot wiser than me, says, Clay, you need to be careful who you, who you share some of those stories with because you're going to freak people out and they're not going to know what to think. But I have had some legitimate encounters with the demonic. I have. But the one thing that I have found in my encounters with the demonic is that ultimately they all bow to the name of Jesus. That when you are in Christ, there is nothing to fear because Jesus has all authority over Satan and his minions. 
But see, they try to instill fear in us. And for the child of God, fear is not something that we should ever embrace. Fear is not something that we should ever promote. Horror is not something that we should ever promote as the child of God. But yet he looks and he finds his way to weave into certain things. But here's what C.S. Lewis said. And I'd say if we tallied up all of our brain power together, we would almost uh, match C.S. Lewis's mind. And, and that man said this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall into about demons. He said, one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Amen. That's good, isn't it? Because we have to find a balance. Because if you have a biblical worldview, I know people, we've had, I've had conversations with people recently who claim to be Christians, but they say they don't believe that there is a Satan, that there is no personal evil, that ultimately there are no demons. That's kind of an outdated idea that they used back in Bible days, but today we have scientific answers for the evil that is in the world. And I'll I'll just ask you the question, how's that working out for you? How is science dealing with evil right now? How is it confronting it? It is not getting any better. We're not fixing the situations in the world. We're not fixing sickness and disease. We're not fixing uh, mind-boggling things going on that's going on in people's lives and stuff like that. The bondage that people suffer, the addictions that people suffer, science is not fixing that. But see, if we have a biblical worldview, what we see is that ultimately there is a war going on between the powers of darkness and humanity. Satan is not at war with God because if God wanted to, he could come in a moment of time and put his thumb on him and crush him. But God has designed a world in which human beings have authority and and, and have dominion over. They lost that, gave it to Satan. Jesus Christ came back and gave it back to us. And now we are at war with the demonic realm. And so there's two errors, C.S. Lewis says. He said, you can either disbelieve in the demonic and you don't even know your enemy. You don't know how to fight him and you just let him run roughshod over you. Or you believe in it so much that you think there's a demon and everywhere you go all the time tormenting everybody and you get freaked out by it and you are obsessed with the demonic and neither of them are healthy. Who we are obsessed with is the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the most uh, uh, powerful spiritual weapons in your arsenal is to not get focused on the demons but to stay focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and His power and authority in your life. Sometimes if you just sit back and rest, I heard a story one time. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy named Smith Wigglesworth. He died back in the 40s, but he had a powerful ministry over in England. You can read about him. But he had a ministry, and he was literally seeing miracles in his ministry. He was seeing people get set free. They were bringing people out of the hospitals to come and hear this man preach. And dozens and dozens of people would get healed, and they'd come to the Lord. They'd come to repentance. And he was just, he was just shaking the world over there. And the story has it that one night he goes to bed and he hears a commotion in his house. So I don't know if it's true or not, but I like to think it is. He hears a commotion in his house, so he walks downstairs and he looks into the living room and Satan himself is standing there in his living room. And Smith Wigglesworth just peeks around the corner and says, oh, it's just you. And he walked back upstairs and went to bed. See, he, under, he understood the authority that he had in Christ Jesus, as that story would say. Whether you believe it or not makes no difference. The fact of the matter is, is that he had an understanding of who he was in Christ, that that devil didn't have any power over him because he was in Christ and Christ was in him, and he was sent there as Christ was sent to destroy the works of the devil. Now, in 1 John 3, 8, it says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. See, the forces of darkness, I want to say something to you about this. You say, but yeah, when you read Scripture, man, you see these demons manifesting. And i got to be honest with you, I've seen that happen. There's nothing that will change your worldview 
Like seeing a demon speak through a human being. Amen. It'll change your worldview. But C.S. Lewis, when he was writing this same thing, what he said is this. He said, you know what? A lot of people say, well, the demonic isn't real anymore. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. That's just in the Bible. And it's all just kind of like myths and stuff like that. But he said, you know what? The demons understand that if they did manifest themselves like that, the only thing they would do is be hurting themselves because it would be a wake-up call to you to the spiritual reality that's going on in darkness right now that's hidden from you. In other words, demons aren't interested in manifesting and freaking everybody out and talking through people so much as they are as working behind the scenes in what Matt just said, darkness. They would rather remain hidden and control individuals' lives, countries' lives, society's lives without people ever realizing that they are ultimately the main culprits behind the whole thing the whole time. But see, the Bible teaches us a different story. We don't, we don't believe that it's actually people that are causing the issue. Matter of fact, Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He said, you want to know who your battle is? You need to be set on the unseen realm. There are spiritual forces in heavenly places that hide in darkness maneuvering people, tempting people, bringing on depression and fear and anxiety, trying to move us further and further away from God at all costs. They don't know whether you, they don't care whether you believe they're at work or not. All they care about is that you're on the path to destruction. And so we need to understand ultimately who we are, who Christ is and what He's done because when Jesus showed up, He came to confront all of the evils. He came to confront sin, sickness, demonic oppression, even nature out of control. And ultimately, he came to defeat the last enemy, which the Bible taught that Satan had power over in Hebrews 2.14, and that is death itself. And he took back the power from Satan in defeating him on the cross and dying and being raised from the dead. And even when Jesus begins his public ministry, he shows up and says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, he's saying you need to turn, you need to change the way you think because there is the kingdom of heaven which is at hand and it has come to destroy the kingdom of darkness. And the greatest theme in the, in the New Testament is ultimately that Christ has come as Savior and He has brought His kingdom with Him to go into battle with and confront the kingdom of darkness. Amen. And you see that throughout the New Testament. And when he shows up, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted, to heal the brokenhearted, to open the eyes to, of those that are blind, to set the captives free and those at liberty who have been oppressed by the devil. He said, this is why the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Matter of fact, he shows up and brings deliverance into people's lives and says, If I cast out demons... By the Spirit of God, he says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. He comes to bring the kingdom of God into your life so that you can be set free from the powers of darkness. And just like Matt said, you can be flooded with the light of God that is in Christ Jesus. And you can let your light so shine before men because you are no longer operating under the darkness that is flooding this world and has it control under its power. Jesus' first act of ministry, I love this, Mark chapter 1. In Mark... Mark really deals with this issue that we're talking about this morning. It says in Mark chapter 1 that he enters the synagogue and everyone is shocked because he teaches with such authority. Not as the scribes, not as regular people taught. It's his authority that shocks people. And in verse 23 it says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. 
And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? They know who he is. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. See, because what they're saying is, he, this man has a teaching. It's not just an action that he was doing to come into the synagogues. In, in Mark chapter 1, it says that he went throughout the synagogues healing people and casting out demons. Because sometimes, I don't know if you realize this or not, but sometimes there's demons in the church. Amen me this morning. And sometimes people need deliverance within the realm of the church house. He wasn't going to the crazy corners back in the street. He was going into the synagogues where people were worshiping God and confronting the devil there. And they would manifest because they knew who he was. And they would say, Jesus of Nazareth, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to torment us? Have you come to destroy us? They were scared to death. It was their nightmare that this living God had showed up in the flesh. They didn't think he was going to show up that early. They knew that there was a time destined for their destruction, but he showed up a little bit earlier than they thought he was going to show up, and they were frightened, they were scared to death because they knew that ultimately he had a plan for them, and it was ultimately their end. And see, Jesus comes, he demonstrates authority, exousia in the Greek, that ultimately they must bow. They have no choice but to bow to this man because he is the creator and the author of the universe. And in Luke 10, Jesus says this because he sent out 72 of his disciples and he said, boys, I want you to go out and do exactly what I've been doing. I want you to go out. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cast out demons. I want you to cleanse lepers and I want you to raise the dead. And they go out and when they return, 72 of them say in Luke chapter 10 that they return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We sang about that name this morning. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Somebody say all the power. All the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I know a lot of people, you get in your mind that something's going to hurt you and Satan attacks your mind and you just think that's you and, and you're dealing with all these oppressive mind issues, fear of what could happen, fear of what could take place. That is demonic in nature oftentimes. I'm not saying that everything is demonic, but ultimately the evil one comes to oppress you in your mind and you renew your mind according to the Word of God and you speak the Word of God against the enemy when he comes because Jesus has said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, you have authority. You speak the word of God out of your mouth. You, sometimes you got to tell the devil to go. Amen. And sometimes you got to get weird about it. Somebody amen me this morning. I, I'm just, sometimes you got to be weird about it. Jesus was weird about it. He went around and rebuking stuff that nobody else rebukes anymore. I remember two nights ago, I started getting some like serious chills and body aches. And, you know, of course, the de demons come and say, COVID. And I said, I ain't, and I was feeling pretty weird. It was Friday night, late Friday night. I was feeling pretty weird. I told her, I said, something, something weird is going on right now. You know what I did? I get crazy. I laid hands right here on my head, and I begin to rebuke the devil. I begin to quote scripture over my body. 
I begin to speak health into my body. And I ain't saying that I felt 100% the last couple of days, but I can tell you this, I have, I have felt better and stronger. And see, I, I, my, first, my first line of defense is not the doctor. My first line of defense, although those things are good, my first line of defense is the power of the Word of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I know y'all think I'm crazy. You go ahead and do what you want to do. I'm going to go ahead and live by the Word of God. We emphasize things that I'm telling you. We put band-aids on things a lot of times that is ultimately a spiritual issue. I counsel people on a regular basis. People are going through therapy. They're on multiple forms of medication only getting worse. They've not yet surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's things going on in their life that they will not yield to Him. They won't turn from certain things, certain issues in their life. They wonder why they're in that frame of mind. It is a spiritual issue. There ain't enough drugs in the world to get you lined out from the power of sin and darkness. We cannot overcome evil on our own physical strength or our own mental ability. We need the power of Jesus Christ showing up in our life to set us free. Amen. And you say, well, you're going to scare people off. This is not a popular subject nowadays, Clay. Let me tell you something. We're going to preach the gospel until the Lord comes back. And we're going to stick to the Word of God. And it's going to be the thing that works in our life as long as we follow Christ. And that's where we're going to go. Because here's what the devil wants you to relax. Not turn to the Word of God as your solution. Be in fear. Turn to man. Turn to this. Turn to that. When in reality, if you would turn to Jesus Christ and step into the authority that He has given you, you would find your life lining up a whole lot closer to the Word of God. You really truly would. And so he comes and through prayer he's given us this authority. He says, nothing shall by any means hurt you. He said, nevertheless, I tell you this, do not rejoice in that, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Through prayer, we become channels through which God continues to enforce the victory that he has won on on the cross. Pray for people. Loretta gave us a testimony in small group the other day about a person that was actually dealing with COVID on their deathbed was getting no better. They had essentially about, about got to the place where they had given her up to die. And the Lord moved on her. She had been praying. She had been praying for weeks for this lady. And the Lord moved on her to go in there and lay hands on her and pray for her in the name of Jesus Christ. And she was healed and released. Am I right? Did they release her yet? She's almost released. So continue, continue to pray. Somebody said, well, I just don't know about that. Well, I don't know about you. (laughs) This is good this morning. (laughs) Mark reveals Jesus as the ultimate authority over all the powers of darkness. The funny thing is, is the people who don't believe in these types of things are actually people who say they elevate Scripture. It's the funniest thing. You're not elevating Scripture when you make something more powerful than Jesus. You're not doing it. In Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart... And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So let's break this story down. 
It says, first of all, that they came to the other side of the sea. And this is important because they're entering into new territory where this demon-infested man is. And they came from the other side of the sea. And if you remember reading back in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, hey, boys, we're going to go to the other side. They set out on the other side. And as they're halfway through this journey, they, they, they encounter a storm. And if you remember, Jesus is asleep with his head on a pillow, just resting in the storm. They wake him up. They said, don't you care that we perish? He stands up in the middle of the storm and he rebukes the storm and tells it to be still and to be quiet. And in the book of Mark and throughout the Gospels, those two words that he uses to speak to that storm are always used when he confronts demons and religious leaders who are actually supporting a demonic work. So he, Mark is trying to point out that this storm itself has been inspired by a demonic force most likely. That the enemy understands and realizes that Jesus is heading into his territory. Can I tell you this? When you start moving closer to Jesus, oftentimes you will find some resistance. When you start moving towards somebody that is bound by the evil one, you will start sensing some resistance. When the Lord calls me to minister to somebody that, 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 that is maybe bound by Satan, that is tied up in some bad things, and when I begin to pray for them and begin to talk to them and begin to try to minister to them, sometimes I'll go to bed at night and have these old devilish dreams trying to intimidate me to get me to back up from moving in. Sometimes the devil will try to intimidate you from moving forward in God. How many of you ever been in that situation? You get fearful. I mean, I, I don't know how many people. Well, man, I've just been afraid lately. I've not been coming to church, but I've just been, I'm just dip, dealing with some things. The enemy knows they're getting closer. The enemy knows they're moving into his territory, that they're beginning to get released from some things that Jesus wants them set free from. And he begins to put up a preemptive strike to try to deter you from coming across the water into the territory that he has. And so he puts up this preemptive strike, a storm, and Jesus just looks at it and says, I know where that comes from. He rebukes it and says, be quiet. Same way he muzzled the demon in Mark chapter 1. Mega calm. It obeys. They come up to the other side of the sea, and he comes over, and they move into this place called the Gerasenes, according to Scripture. It's the Decapolis. It's ten cities that really Jewish people didn't go in there because it was unclean, because they were known for they're pig farming. And Jewish people, they believed that pigs were unclean, right? They didn't, they didn't touch pigs. If you touch pigs, you become unclean. And so this was a Gentile area, Roman-occupied place that for the most part Jewish people did not go into. But Jesus decides to go into this place to demonstrate something, that ultimately He is the power over all of creation. He is the power over all of the powers of darkness. And He is going to spread this into all the world, even the places that we have deemed unclean. And so He moves into this place. And the Hebrew root of the name Gerasene it literally means to banish or to drive out or to cast out. And here's what he's saying is that it's not just this man that's running out of the hills that needs deliverance. This entire city, this entire region needs deliverance. Can I tell you that there are both individuals in Clay County in southeastern Kentucky that need deliverance from the bondages that Satan has in their lives. But I'm telling you that our entire region needs deliverance. And it... And, and we see deliverance because we move forward with the gospel. We evangelize. We preach the gospel and people repent and come to saving faith in Christ. And this is how you begin to push back the powers of, the dark, of darkness with the word of God. I, told, I, I heard somebody last night talking about, you know, how everybody gets in a tiz about 
Christians letting their kids go out and dress up and do all this for Halloween. He said, you know what? You, you need to not be so worried about kids dressing up in costumes so much as what the, the schools are actually teaching your kids right now. The real demonic stuff going on isn't your kids dressing up in costumes. The real demonic stuff is what your kids are being taught while they're looking at their iPads. But he uses these things, these figments, to get you focused on things that you think matter when actually they don't really matter. And you allow your child to be open to all kinds of crazy things and get nitpicky over things that ultimately aren't a big deal at all. Somebody amen me this morning. Right. And so this man comes out and he's living among the tombs, which means that he is living among death and decay. He comes out naked. You imagine his hair is matted. He's got scabs on, on himself where he's been cutting himself. And, and he's unclean both physically and ceremonially. He's sleeping among the dead. He's living among pigs. And he's cutting himself and bleeding. And he's unsettled. Literally, he is uncontrollable. They've tried to bind him. He cannot be controlled. He cannot be tamed. He's depressed most likely, he is dejected, he is demoralized. And the question is, why in the world is he like this? Like, how's a human being even getting this condition? If you look down in the story in verse 15, it says that he is demon-possessed. Now, a lot of people will argue about this word because if you read it in the Greek, it's daimonizomai, okay? And if, if you give an accurate rending of that word, it is probably most likely demonized, it doesn't mean that ultimately this, these demons have full, absolute possession and ownership of him, but it means that they have inhabited him to a degree that they have a good measure of control over his entire life. And what we see oftentimes is not this. Most people in this room, you've never seen probably what you would consider a demon-possessed man. I would say that this man is as close to fully possessed as you can be, but what we see most of the time are people that are oppressed by the demonic. They're under fear. They're under depression. They have addictions that they just can't break. And ultimately, it's not that they're full of demons or demon-possessed, but we have this oppression that is on them that they need to be set free from. And so he shows up, and, 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 and he's in this condition, and you ask the question, well, how in the world did that happen to them? Let me tell you something about the demonic. The demonic only really go where they're invited. The demonic only really stay where they're not resisted. I ain't going to tell you that the devil don't come to me sometimes and try to show up in my house and mess with me and mess with my mind when I'm asleep, when I wake up in the morning, or even in my attitude toward my wife every now and then. Now, I got flesh. Not everything comes in there as a devil, right? Amen. We're trying to do the C.S. Lewis balance thing. When my shoelace breaks, that wasn't a devil, right? Amen. Had a shoelace break the other day. Probably wasn't a demon. So we want to have a healthy balance, but do you know that this is why God gives us the Holy Spirit? So that we can discern spirits that are at work in the world and in our lives. To have a discernment to know when the enemy is at work and to exercise authority against him. And we face these things, but the demonic look for access through human agreement. And sometimes we give him access by the things we allow into our homes. Sometimes we give him access by the things that we say. Sometimes we give him access by the things that we look, look at. Many times we give him access by the sins that we commit. Let me tell you how he operates. He's looking for authority. And when you resist him, the Bible says what? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you put up resistance and you say, no, not here, devil. You might as well go find somewhere else because we ain't letting you in our house. 
When he senses that resistance, he flees from you. But when he comes in and you don't put up no resistance, matter of fact, you agree with him. Hey, that might be a good idea. He says, okay, I'm welcomed in this place. He begins to try to hang out. Would you put that next, that next slide up for me? Because it begins with temptation, really. And you can be tempted. Everybody in here, you've been tempted before, haven't you? Yes, you have. You've been tempted to do one thing or another that you know God's not moving you to. And, and within this realm of temp temptation, it can also be how you've been sinned against. Somebody can hurt you. Somebody can cause you trauma. Maybe then you are tempted to be bitter toward them, to not forgive them, to not release them. You've experienced pain and suffering. And Satan looks for an access point. And when you are tempted and you say, yes, I agree with you. I hate that person. Yes, I agree with you. I think I will look at that. Yes, I agree with you. I believe I will choose to do that. Once he has that agreement, you have given him a place in your life. Now, this doesn't mean you're possessed. doesn't mean he has full control, but he has an access point. He will try to use that thing against you again. And once he tries to use that thing against you again, you begin to act upon it. Maybe in what you practice. Maybe in what you say. Maybe in what you believe. Maybe in what you feel. But the actions ultimately lead to a foothold. He said, okay, now I'm actually getting into his behavior and getting a hold of his life. And then it goes into a foothold, and then it becomes a mental obsession. This is where you start to get people addicted to certain things. And once that a mental obsession gets rooted and grounded, and you wake up thinking about these things, and you wake up moving in that direction and speaking these things out of your mouth, then it becomes a stronghold. And a stronghold, according to 2 Corinthians 10, is a mental thought process. That you cannot change. You try to change. You're not in the Word of God, but you're always thinking in a direction that is moving you away from God, and that opens the door for you to become demonized. And nobody wants to hear that this morning, do they? But I'm telling you, once again, you repent, you get in the Word of God, you submit your life to Jesus Christ, He will set you free. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new mind. He gives you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But you need to be sober, to be vigilant for your adversary. The devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for people that he may devour. When he shows up on some of y'all's doorsteps, he said, I can't touch them. They ain't no open doors in this house. They ain't letting the devil in. They're in there with their kids reading the word of God and praying and telling the devil to go. He said, I can't get in there. I can't devour them. They're not allowing it. They've got the doors closed. You know, Jesus said, matter of fact, he said when a demon, when an unclean spirit leaves a man, he goes into dry places seeking rest, waterless places seeking rest. Finding none, he finds seven more spirits more wicked than himself. And he comes back, finds the house swept and cleaned and garnished. And he enters into the man and he says, the case of that man was worse than it was for him in the beginning. Now, that's pretty frightening if you just read it. But it says he goes into dry places, waterless places. The water represents the anointing, the water of God's Word and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you keep your life full of the Holy Spirit and full of the Word of God, you keep your home saturated in the water of God's Word, saturated in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He shows up to that place and he finds no rest. It's too saturated. It's too soaking wet with God's Word. It's too anointed by the Holy Spirit for him to find rest. And he says, I can't dwell here any longer. I want you to consider that because when a person gets free, I remember when I first got free, I remember when the enemy tried to come back with, with, with seven more more wicked than himself when he tried to come back to my life. And when he came back, he said, we can't get back in there, boys. It's already filled up with something else. It's already filled up with something else. He's put something else on the inside. The Holy Spirit lives in there. Jesus lives in there. 
And so we don't know how long this man's been tormented, but he's in terrible shape. It says he's among tombs. He's crying out. He's desperate, but he's completely bound. How many of y'all, you know people that are crying out, but they just can't get free? And it says no one could bind him, not even with chains. And this emphasizes natural methods. They're trying to put a band-aid on something that only Jesus can set them free from. Maybe they're trying to medicate it. Maybe if he go to the, a little bit better therapist, maybe he get these things lined up. And look, I'm not hating on medication or therapy. Like if you find something in that, but I'm telling you there are some things that Jesus Christ is the only answer for. And at the root basis of so many of our problems, what we're dealing with is a spiritual issue. And we try to put band-aids on it. We try to put chains on it. We try to put some, a band-aid on the outside, but it doesn't actually fix what's going on on the inside of us. And this is the shape that he's in. He could not be bound. No matter what happened, he continued in this shape. Matter of fact, it says he went to the place where he was cutting himself with stones. Do you know that in America right now, you can even read it in Psychology Today magazine, but suicide and self-harm are at an all-time high. At an all-time high. Suicide and self-harm are demonic because it is murder against and damage against the very image of God. And when you enter into self-harm, at its basis, there's something on the inside of you where it could be for, from, from abuse. It could be from the pain in your own life. But this is why Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He heals people in their hearts so that they don't have any self-loathing. They don't have any self-hatred. They're healed from the abuse of their past. They don't have to continue to walk through that and be bound to that and be the victim. I'm not, I, look, people go through stuff and it takes time to heal. I have no doubt about that. Sometimes even walking with Jesus, it takes time to heal. No doubt about it. But let me tell you something. Jesus is the only one that's really going to do it for you. You can move to so many other things and you may find a mesh measure of solace. But if you want true freedom, you're going to find it in Jesus Christ. And so many are in a state of depression and isolation. And maybe you're not physically cutting yourself, but you're cutting yourself down in your private time. And to come against the very image of God, who you are, you need to be saying about yourself what God is saying about you. You're a child of God. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in this world. you got the Spirit of the living God on the inside of you. You've been anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. You are loved by the Most High God. You need to be telling the enemy the truth about who you are and letting him know that you're going to overcome him and all of his tactics by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony and because you did not love your life unto the death. So the answer is Jesus and surrendering in faith to him to get free from these things. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, it says, When this man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What, do you, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now these demons are tormented by Jesus. One time I was with Donald Sims and we were trying to minister to this girl from China and she was in a bind, folks. I remember we just put a Bible on her arm and that demon began to scream. If they are tormented, we sing that song, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Y'all don't really believe that, though. The darkness trembles at the name of Jesus. The darkness trembles of somebody who holds on to God's word in faith. The enemy is scared to death that you'll get a hold of Jesus Christ. Amen. That you'll get His Word in your heart. 
that you'll seek him in prayer, that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and become a weapon against his kingdom. He's frightened, but he's trying to convince you that none of this is real, that it's not even a reality, that this is just weird stuff the guy's talking about. But in Matthew's account in chapter 8, verse 29, it says, Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time. Now let me tell you this. Demons, like I said in the beginning, they prefer to operate in darkness. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be brought into the light. But can I tell you this, that Jesus, just like what Matt said this morning, Jesus is perfect light. When he walks into a room, everything is exposed. The demons know that he knows they're there. See, we walk into a room and we got just a little bit of light. And they say, we can probably stay hidden. Not a whole lot of light. And they would prefer to stay hidden, but when he comes into the room, there's so much light, they immediately run to him because they know they're fully exposed. What I'm saying, when you see something weird like a a demonic manifestation, usually it's, it's a good sign because that enemy knows that it has been exposed and it is about to have to go. And they show up and they say, have you come to torment us before the time? See, what the demons know is, one, they know who Jesus is a lot better than we do. And two, they know that there's a time coming in which their judgment will be in full. And there's a lake of fire, the Bible says, that was created for the devil and his angels. And they're not fighting because they think they can actually win. They're fighting to bring as many of us down with them into the torment and the destruction that they are bound to suffer. They want to take you and I with them. That is their goal. That is their fight. They are not convinced they can actually defeat God and Jesus. They know his power. They know his authority. And so they said, have you come to torment us before the time? And guess what? He did come before the time. And what he did is this. Ultimately, Jesus is going to drop an atom bomb in the end and he's going to bind all the powers of darkness and put them away. And it's going to come to an end. But right now, he has started a subversive movement. What he did is he came and he planted a seed and he said, no, he said, I have come to torment you before the time. I've come to destroy a little bit of your kingdom right here and I've come to disarm you on the cross. But guess what? This authority that I'm now exercising over you you demons right now I'm giving now to my believers in faith in me and I'm filling with them with the same spirit that is upon me and I'm counting on them to go forth and continue to destroy the works of the devil and advance the kingdom of God and bring down the kingdom of darkness he said I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it that's the church folks the church is not to sit back and just sort of say well the devil's attacking us we may make it no we are to take ground for the kingdom of God We are to take ground for the kingdom of God. When we see the hurting and the broken and the depressed and the oppressed, we are to go with the gospel in Jesus' name to preach the love of Jesus Christ to them, to come to repentance and faith, and that they will believe. And when we pray for them, we believe that freedom will come in Jesus' name, that their lives will be transformed, that Jesus will set them free. This is what we believe. This is the devil's nightmare. His nightmare is, number one, Jesus. He's scared to death of him. Two, he's... His nightmare is the day when final judgment is going to be executed on him. Bible says he knows he has a short time. He's went throughout the earth to fight those who believe in Christ and believe in his name. But the other thing that he fears and the other thing that is his nightmare is that you and I will actually figure out who we are in Christ and exercise the victory and the authority that he's won for us on the cross against the powers of darkness. Most of us walk around totally unaware of the victory that we have, of the authority that's been given to us. But in verse 8 through 10, it says, For he was saying to him, 
Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. What if you've been Peter or John just watching this? You've been like, <laughs> You know, you took out. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now he says, What is your name? Now, why would he say that? In, in, in Jewish time, if you've, if you've seen The Chosen, you know when Mary Magdalene gets set free, they send, some, they send Nicodemus to her to try to set her free. But it's, it's depicting the fact that in, in the first century, uh, Jews would actually, they had people that were exorcists. And they had protocol. And the first protocol was you wanted to make verbal contact with the demon. You wanted to provoke it, to manifest itself so that you could speak to it. Second protocol was would you, you would ask us its name. Why are you here? How'd you get here? What happened for you to get here? And once you found out its name, you could gain some measure of authority over it to cast it out. But here's the issue in their day. They saw very little success in casting the demons out and getting them free. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, they saw a 100% success rate. That this man had absolute authority over the demons that they had tried to cast out and couldn't. And all of a sudden he confronts them and they are scared to death and they bow at his name and they leave. And so he says, well, my name is Legion. A legion was 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen in a battle brigade in the Roman Empire. Now what he's saying here is the same spirits that were oppressing one individual are the same spirits that will oppress a nation. He's saying that ultimately Satan's not just interested in getting this person over here addicted to drugs. Those are his small minions that he sends out in army style to oppress people. But from the top down over a nation, Satan seeks full control. You see an army, you see presidents, you see governors, you see these are the power, these are authorities, these are powers, principalities of the dark rulers of this world. And ultimately, like I said, they're working in darkness. They are convincing our world right now that things that are blatantly anti-God are good things. And you see it every day. The most basic and fundamental and foundational thing that we have in Scripture, if you go to the beginning of the book, is that God is creator and designer of the world. Amen. And when He created in the very beginning, He created male and female. And now we live in a world where they're trying to say that there's more than just male and female. That you can be gender fluid. That is demonic in nature, you see. And now I'm not saying these people need help. We're not hating on people who believe differently. They're like everybody else that is without Christ. They need salvation. But we can never get into a place where we just believe these lies and think that it's a loving thing to accept demonic doctrines. Anything that is against Scripture is ultimately influenced by the demonic. These are doctrines of demons. And the Scripture says that in the last days, many shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And so we want to be aware of how He works, how He operates, and we have to have the truth of God's Word. We have to have the truth of God's Word in order to fight it. But see, in verse 11 through 13, we're moving on now. A great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged Jesus, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So He gave them permission. That's funny to me. You want to go into pigs? Go ahead. And the unclean spirits came out and entered into the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, 2,000 pigs is big business. Economy was booming. I mean, you might, the guys probably even think, man, we need not elect Jesus as president of this place. He's going to tank our economy. You know what I'm saying? He's going he's to leave the ships out at sea. We'll start a supply chain shortage. 
Amen. Political jokes this morning. And so he comes in and he does this, and they're, feed, the, 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 they're feeding on the hillside. He, the, the pigs, they said, let us enter into the pigs. Now, here's what's interesting. Why do they want to even enter into pigs? They know, he, they're, going to, they know they're getting cast out of the man. They say, give us the pigs. Because ultimately, what demons want is they want a body in the earth. They know that in order to influence the world, they need a body. They need a physical being to bring about real change within the earth. And so they're always looking for access in order to do this. And do you understand this? That God's design is that you would be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, you reveal the glory and the goodness and the truth of God to all of creation. But what Satan's design is, is that you would not be filled with the Holy Spirit, but instead filled with unclean spirits. And what you worship is ultimately what is going to fill you up. Man, that's a good word right there. What you worship is what is going to fill you up. And see, this is a challenge of sorts for the people. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus allows the people, allows the demons to go into the pigs is one, because they're considered unclean to the Jewish people. But two, it's a challenge of sorts. He knows that they are under severe demonic oppression and he wants to know if they're willing to let go of everything in order to experience the salvation that he's bringing. He knows that they're in bondage to their money and their economy. He knows that they could care less whether this demon-possessed man gets set free. All they care about is their money. And it's a challenge because what, com what it comes down to is, here's the truth, are you more interested in yourself and your money and your possessions and your life going well without ever giving a thought for the person down the road that's actually oppressed and in bondage? Are you willing to lay down some of your own personal gain in order that more and more people might come to freedom and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And see, they're just not ready because it says in verse 14 through 17, the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and the country and people came to see what it was that had happened and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind and notice this, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. You're talking about a man that was living up in... You talk about a bad Halloween. Tell your kids to go up there to the tombs, up there to the cemetery, where the man who's cutting himself and crying out day and night, naked, wilder than a buck, can't be chained down, cannot be restrained is up there. They're not afraid while that's going on. When the man gets set free, he's in his right mind and he's clothed. Then they're afraid. That's how you know bondage has hit an entire community. And can I tell you something? That all of the religious devils in a community will begin to raise up when church starts having true revival and people are getting saved, healed, and set free. You will make the devil madder than fire and every preacher in the community will start bashing you because God is moving in your midst. Somebody amen me. They start to get afraid because God is actually finally moving. And it, and it begins to reveal that at the root, people are under the sway of this demonic bondage. They don't want to see a move of God. They want everything to stay status quo. I don't know about you, but I want to pray until the, until the powers of hell are shaken and people that are bound up in addiction begin to truly get set free. I feel that this morning. D.A. Carson said the loss of the herd 
becomes a way of exposing the real values of the people in the vicinity. They preferred pigs to people. They preferred swine to the Savior. You can say what you stand for when everything is good, but what happens when the economy tanks? What happens when Jesus asks you to give something up? What happens when Jesus asks you to lay down your sin that you love so much? That you've made that your little pet and it makes you feel good in bad times. You know, there's some people got demons they brought in here this morning. It's just a little pet demon that makes you feel good when times are bad. And God's saying, that little devil there, you know it ain't a me. It's not bringing you true satisfaction. It's a crutch for you, and it's got you enslaved and crippling you from moving forward with God. There's three prayer requests, and I'm finishing up here. i got two more verses. But there's three prayer requests, and it's so interesting because the demons pray to Jesus that they could be transferred from the man to the pigs, and he grants it. Prayer answered. The townspeople say, Jesus, please get out of here. We don't want you here. And he grants it. He gets in the boat. Heads out. Now, if that had been me and he just set that man free, I'd say, Jesus, come up to my house. we got some stuff to take care of. You know what I'm talking about? They ask him to go. He grants their request. He's getting on the boat, and now the man gives him a request, and he doesn't answer it. Notice verse 18. It says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. He said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I've been waiting for freedom my whole life. I want to follow you. And he did not permit him. He says, no, not going to answer that prayer. Probably the best prayer out of all of them. But he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. See, this seems like a great prayer. Hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, man. You've set me free. You've changed my entire life. And Jesus says, no. And I need you to understand that sometimes we say this all the time. I think it was Garth Brooks. He's a wise man, you know, great theologian. He said sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. But what Jesus knew is, you know what, man? It's not best that you follow me. It's best that you go back into this community that has been infested with the demonic and you begin to tell them just how much the Lord has done for you. Because the greatest testimony and the greatest witness is a transformed life. And when you go back in and you tell your mom and dad that seen you up here cutting yourself in the tombs and you living among the dead, that all of a sudden you got a smile on your face and you're fully clothed and you're healing up and you ain't got no more scars and something has happened in your life, they're going to begin to believe in this man named Jesus. And you need to understand that God has done something in your life. And if He's not done something in your life, you need a touch from heaven. You need to come to Jesus. You need to turn from your sin and let Jesus free you up on the inside so that you can go tell your friends and your family just what the Lord has done for you. And my question to you this morning is, have you had a real encounter with this Jesus in such a way where you cannot help but tell somebody what the Lord has done for you? And I'm telling you, some of us, we get so caught up in religion and right doctrine and who believes this and denominations. You need to set that foolishness aside to seek a genuine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that right doctrine is not important. We're trying our best to preach right and accurate doctrine. But while everybody else is over here fighting about it, I want the broken to get set free. 
I want a real encounter with Jesus. I want a move of the Holy Spirit in lives. I want, we've been baptizing people. This tank, we've been having to fill it up every week. It's cold or nice this morning, bless God. That was the devil. He got in our heater. I want to see God move. And I want to be, but say, you know what? We ain't going to let the devil push us around. We ain't going to sit and talk about him all the time. He ain't worthy of that. But I know somebody who is worthy. His name is Jesus. And what he's done for all of us. Amen. What's he done for you? What's he done for you? Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Thank you, Lord. You know, Jesus, I just feel like this morning Jesus just wants total surrender. So many of us, we, we hang on to things and we put things before him, but he's just asking for total surrender. What's that thing in your life that you know he's just asking you to yield to him? He's just saying, you know, you've been hanging on to that thing, but if you just give me that space in your heart, give me full control and fully surrender that to me, whatever it may be, that addiction, this, 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 this fear of what you would be if you didn't have this or, or just this desire for something that you keep trying to get but never can get it. And the Lord's saying, you just let me feel that spot this morning and whatever's binding you up, Right now, I just want you to receive the freedom that Jesus offers. So, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd come in power to bring freedom this morning, to set people free. And, Lord Jesus, we confess our sins to you this morning. God, we bring our sins, and we, we bring them, and we place them under the blood. And we ask you, Lord, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And right now we come against the authority of the enemy because the blood washes us clean and Satan, you have no right. You have no access to our lives. We close the door on you this morning. And every unclean spirit that has tried to influence us or attach itself us, to us, we bind you and we command you to go in Jesus' name. We speak the same rebuke that Jesus spoke to the wind and to the sea and said, peace be still, be calm and move in Jesus' name. And Father, we just ask that right now in this house, God, you just bring an overwhelming peace, that peace that you brought into the midst of that storm as people begin to come to you. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray. I want you to continue to pray. If you need to pray, if you need salvation, if you need prayer for something specific that's going on in your life, I just want to open this altar up. I want to open this altar up to anyone that will come. If you need prayer, you can pray right there at your seat. But just take a moment as we work.